As I wrote this sermon earlier this week, I heard the sounds of shrieks and screams from my office. No, it was not an emergency. Thankfully, no one was hurt. What happened as I peeked out my office door was that my toddler was cut off from his supply of crackers. You know that song, This Is My Father's World. I don't think he understood that at that moment. And so he screamed. It was a temper tantrum. Now, let me just say this. Don't judge lest you be judged also. Let's just do a show of hands. Raise your hand if you've ever had a temper tantrum. Just a few honest people here, okay? You're sitting next to some liars. Every hand in the room should have been up. You see, you know, most of us, we've probably grown out of expressing our anger with kicking and screaming and yelling, but all of us still get angry. You're driving on Sheikh Zayed and somebody cuts you off. Your colleagues at work don't work, so then you have to do all their work. Your husband leaves the toilet seat up. You almost fall in. Your wife welcomes you home with a list of complaints. Your children, they paint a mural on your couch with permanent markers. All of us get angry, just for different reasons. When was the last time you were angry with God? You struggle with the same sin over and over again. It just doesn't seem like you can overcome it. You get diagnosed with a sickness that doesn't seem to have an end. Your job is thankless, and it feels mundane and meaningless. You were excited to get married, but marriage has only brought you disappointment. You were hoping to get married right now, but it's only proved elusive. We, all of us, we get angry with God when He fails to meet our expectations. Perhaps some of you came to church today angry with God. Turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're in the last chapter, and Jonah is angry with God. He throws a temper tantrum. Listen as I read Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord! Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're on the last ride of the book of Jonah. It's been a roller coaster. Jonah's a book about a prophet's rebellion. If you've missed the last few weeks, in the Old Testament, there's only one prophet. When God says go, the prophet says no. And the author of Jonah spotlights Jonah's rebellion as the wind obeys God, the seas obey God, the fish obeys God, the cattle obey God, the plant obeys God, the worm obeys God, but Jonah doesn't obey God. Jonah is also a book about pagans' repentance. There's a ship of sailors in chapter 1. They turn from their idols and they trust in the Lord of heaven and earth. A city of Ninevites turn from their evil and they trust in the God who promises to judge them. And the author of the book highlights Jonah's half-hearted repentance from that prayer in chapter 2 by giving us an x-ray of Jonah's heart in chapter 4. But Jonah's not actually the star of this story. Most importantly, Jonah's a book about God's relentance, which isn't a word. I just made it up. It's about God's mercy. Jonah opens up a window for us and lets us peek into the heart of God. Who is God? He's merciful. 
He's merciful to the sailors. He saves them from the storm. He's merciful to the Ninevites. He saves them from disaster. You know, the author actually showcases God's mercy to Jonah as Jonah sprints from God's presence only to be swallowed up by God's mercy at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. We finish the book in chapter 4 understanding this truth. God is merciful to all nations, but apparently Jonah is not. The book ends with a question to Jonah. Today I have just one question for you. Does your heart reflect God's heart for all nations? Does your heart reflect God's heart for all nations? Two handles as we look at chapter 4. The first section we're going to look at is verses 1 through 3. It's questioning God. Questioning God. The second half, verses 4 through 11, is questioned by God. Questioned by God. First, questioning God. Look at verse 1. But... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So the chapter starts with that little word, but. It's a strange way to begin the chapter. If you remember, the previous chapter started with a revival, and it ended with God relenting. The Ninevites, those wicked, evil people, turned from their evil, and God turned from his anger. They deserved destruction. They received deliverance. So why is Jonah angry? Before we dive into that question, why? Why is Jonah so angry? We need to zoom out of this verse, verse 1. There's more going on here. If we don't step back a little bit, we're going to miss it. So let's just hop in the plane real quick. View the book from 30,000 feet. Remember back to chapter 1. The book begins with the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What had happened? Well, the Lord tells Jonah, go and preach to the Ninevites because, if you look at verse 2, their evil has come up before me. Now, that word evil is going to be repeated throughout the whole book. Just a few verses later in chapter 1, Jonah's run from God and the sailors of all people confront him. They say, hey, Jonah, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. Jonah confesses. He said, it's because of me. So in chapter 1, the Lord sees the Ninevites evil, and yet the prophet he sends brings evil upon the people he's with. Skip to chapter 3. We heard Jonah's sorry sermon, just five words. But we saw a surprising response. The king of Nineveh publishes this proclamation in verse 8 of chapter 3. He says, let everyone turn from his evil way. Again, just like chapter 1, God sees. Verse 10, God saw how they turned from their evil way. And God relents. And now we're in chapter 4, we're at verse 1, and again we see that word evil. 
But if you're looking in your Bible, if you've got an English Bible, you, you can't see the word evil because it's not there, but it's there. So if you look, if, if your Bible has footnotes, uh, go ahead and look there. The footnote that my Bible has for verse 1 says this. It says that phrase, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In Hebrew, it reads, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah. So catch this. The Ninevites were evil in God's sight, but they turned from their evil. Who's evil in Jonah's sight? Friends, it's God. God himself. From Jonah's perspective, the Ninevites' repentance, God's relentance, was evil. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to burn. And so he burned with anger when God turned from his. Jonah was angry with God's actions. But ultimately in verse 2, we see he's angry with God's character. Look at verse 2. It's a prayer. But you can kind of picture him seething in anger, yelling it. He says, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. You know, some movies, they save a piece of the plot till the very end. It's like a little key that unlocks the whole movie, but they save it. Chapter 4, verse 2 is that key to Jonah. When you read that, you can't read the rest of the book the same way. We wondered, perhaps you did, why did Jonah run in chapter 1? Why did he run? What was he so afraid of? In chapter 4, verse 2, we find out he was not afraid of the Ninevites killing him. That's not why he ran. He was afraid of God forgiving them. He knew God's character. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God abounds in steadfast love. We just sang that earlier. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Jonah knew that. He knew God's consistency. If I go and preach, then they might repent and God might relent. I'm out of here. God doesn't change. God's character should have delighted Jonah. Instead, we see in chapter 4, it disgusted him. And you know, Jonah didn't come up with these characteristics of God all by himself. He didn't just make these up. In great irony, Jonah is quoting Exodus 34 to God. Think about that for a moment. He's rebuking God with God's word. You know, back in Exodus 34, God responded to the Israelites after he had delivered them. What did they go do? They committed adultery. They went off to idols. And yet God was gracious. He was merciful. He was slow to anger. He was abounding in steadfast love. He relented from the disaster. If you remember, Jonah himself was a rebel. 
He too ran from God. And how did God respond to him? By swallowing him up in grace and mercy. And then Jonah responded to God's deliverance. He prayed in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. He was thrilled. Jonah delights in salvation, but just not for them. Right now, Jonah's angry. He's angry with God's actions. He's angry with God's character. Jonah's angry enough to die. Look how he ends his prayer of complaint in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. A prayer of complaint ending with a prayer of petition. God, if you don't kill them, at least kill me. You know, in chapter 1, it was very obvious. There was a storm raging on the sea. But I wonder if you noticed throughout the book that there was a storm raging inside Jonah's heart. He hates the Ninevites, but it's because his heart is hard to God. During the English Reformation in the 16th century, there was one pastor named John Knox. He prayed this prayer of petition to God. God, Give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. The gospel was just rediscovered in Europe and it roared in revival across Europe. But it wasn't met without opposition. In the 1550s, the Roman Catholic Queen of England, Mary, tried to reverse the Reformation. To do so, she burned hundreds of Protestants at the stake. She secured the nickname, Bloody Mary. During her reign of terror, many Protestants fled England and they sought refuge across Europe. John Knox, that pastor, he was one of those. He wound up in Geneva with another pastor named John Calvin. And after seeing John Calvin's ministry and his leadership and the fruit of it, Knox was determined to go back home to his own country and seek a reformation. He didn't care if it meant his own death. Give me Scotland or I die. How far, friend, would you go to see the salvation of a nation? Would you risk it all for the chance to start a revival? Those are the questions we're faced to ask as we look at the courageous life of John Knox. But as you know, we're in the book of Jonah. We've been asking a different set of questions. How far would you run to see the destruction of a nation? Would you risk it all for a chance to stop revival? For John Knox, it was the souls of Scotland or a dreadful death. For Jonah, the salvation of souls made him desire death. Jonah's heart did not reflect God's heart for the Ninevites. You know, Jonah's reaction to the repentance of Nineveh reminds us of when another prophet, Jesus Christ, walked the streets of Jerusalem. 
As he saw the city filled with hard hearts, Jesus wept over it. Because he came for his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Then in Jerusalem, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Sinners mocked him on the cross. He cried out, Father, forgive them. Jonah would give his life in order that the Ninevites wouldn't be saved. Jesus Christ gave his life to save ours. He took God's wrath in our place. And on that day, on that cross, God did not relent. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Friends, he chose to die so that we could live. And three days later, he rose from the grave so we can receive God's grace. Friends, today we know the steadfast love, the mercy, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's because of His sacrifice that God's love is available to all who believe. Friends, it doesn't matter where you're from. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek or a Ninevite or an Israelite. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. God's heart is for all nations. I don't know what passport nationality you have, but it doesn't matter. All 200 of them, God came for the nations. So friend, would you turn to Jesus Christ? Leave your sin behind and trust in God's unfailing character. Brothers and sisters, those of you who profess the name of Christ, does your heart reflect God's heart for all nations? In God's providence, there's 200 nationalities that call Dubai home. It's amazing. And yet, against God's heart, there's racism throughout this city. It dwells here. So look around your workplace. Do you treat people differently based on their nationality? Look around your dinner table. Do you share table fellowship, meals with people that are different than you? Parents, look, look at who you hope for your children to marry. Does your heart reflect God's heart or your cultural preferences? Church, let's pray. Let's pray for us that our hearts would increasingly reflect God's heart for all nations. And friends, we saw an x-ray of Jonah's heart in this verse. We spotted a heart on fire filled with rage. I wonder what motivates Jonah? What makes his heart tick? 
for him to recite sound doctrine and yet worship a God that's made in his own image. What makes you tick? What makes you exceedingly angry? Did you see that phrase? That word exceedingly, it's used throughout this book. He's exceedingly angry. I wonder what about you? What brings you the greatest misery in your life? Whatever the answer, that's likely what you worship. Many of us, you know, we either ignore our emotions, that's one problem, or we're controlled by our emotions, another problem. The Bible teaches to us, it teaches us to engage our emotions, engage them. So the next time you're angry, remember, anger is not sinful, but righteous anger is rare. What does your anger say? Bring your anger, that exceeding anger you face. Bring it to an interrogation room. Cross-examine it. Ask it. Why am I angry? Evaluate your circumstances. Think about your situation. What's sparking your anger? But move beyond your circumstances. Think about your response. Why did you respond that way to that situation? Did you bank your hopes on something that God never promised you? Did you place your trust in someone other than God? Jonah's anger revealed this about him. It revealed that he had a hard heart towards God. What does your anger reveal? Friends, don't ignore it. Don't be controlled by it. Engage it. Question your anger. That's what Jonah should have been doing in chapter 4. He should have been questioning his anger. Instead, he was questioning God. But in verse 4, the tables are turned. And he's questioned by God. That's point number 2. Look at verse 4. Questioned by God. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? God responds to Jonah's complaint with a question. Now, he's going to ask Jonah three questions. And this is a great counseling question. Is it right that you're angry? He's angry about the Ninevite salvation. God asks him about it. God doesn't first rebuke Jonah. You know, he's patient with Jonah. It's amazing. He's patient with the prophet who hates his patience. And Jonah responds to God's patience with arrogance. It's shocking. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. This is the second time Jonah's fled from the presence of the Lord. He's so angry he just walks away. So there, on the outskirts of the city of Nineveh, sits a proud prophet with a hard heart. Imagine it. Jonah pulls out his lawn chair. He grabs a bag of popcorn. He hopes for fireworks. His anger blinds him. He just doesn't get it. But the Lord's not done with him. In verse 6, Jonah gets an object lesson. The Lord appoints a plant. 
It rises up over Jonah. It shades him from the heat. It saves him from discomfort. And look at Jonah's response to that amazing salvation. Verse 6. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So here's Jonah. He's extremely angry in one moment. In another moment, he's extremely, extremely delighted. What's the reason? It's because of some shade. What makes Jonah really happy? Really, really happy. What is it? It's divine air conditioning. It's hard not to laugh at Jonah's temper tantrum. In verse 7, Jonah's lesson continues. God then appoints a worm. The worm attacks the plant. The plant withers. His shade is missing. And friends, the sun is coming. Verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. The Lord appointed the plant, the worm, the sun, the wind. He brought Jonah comfort. Then he sent Jonah distress. All to teach Jonah a lesson. But Jonah doesn't get it still. Verse 8. And Jonah asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. It seems the object lesson just goes right over Jonah's hot head. He doesn't get the irony. Jonah's angry that God won't burn the Ninevites, yet he gets angry that God gives him a little sunburn. He desires death, not life, because God gave the Ninevites life, not death. So the Lord asks him a second question. Look at verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Friends, notice it's that same question from earlier. He just circles right back to it. Are you right to be angry about the plant? Yet this time, instead of walking, Jonah explodes with self-justification. He says, yes, I do well to be angry. Thank you very much. Angry enough to die. And what's crazy is that those are the last words of Jonah in this book. The last little glimpse of Jonah we get is him telling God off and justifying himself. But friends, God gets the final word in this book. Verse 10. He tells Jonah the point that Jonah's been missing all along. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You know, each week my wife and I drive to church. We listen to the scripture that's going to be preached on our way to church. And, um, you know, the book ends and my wife turns to me and she's like, what's the deal with the cattle? You know, what is it about the cattle? Maybe you're wondering that. Here's the point. Jonah pities the plant. We see that in verse 10. Who does God pity? 
He pities the people. He knows everyone by name. All those 120,000 people in Nineveh made in the image of God, created for God's glory. He even knows their cattle. It's a strange way for the book to end, isn't it? You know, when a story ends with a question, the reader is the one who's left to answer the question. And we know Jonah's heart did not reflect God's heart for the Ninevites. What about us? Does your heart reflect God's heart for all nations? In the Old Testament, Israel broke God's covenant, so God used the nations to judge Israel. And Jonah knew he was a prophet for Israel. He knew that if God spared the Ninevites, that might mean disaster for his people, for the Israelites. And guess what? He was actually right. God used the Assyrians, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, to judge the Israelites so that they would turn from their idols and turn back to the living God. But the Ninevites, you know, we see this amazing repentance and revival in chapter 3. It wouldn't last. Just a couple generations later, the Ninevites, too, would turn back from their evil ways. The book of Jonah actually has a sequel. It's called the book of Nahum. God sends the prophet Nahum to Nineveh with this message. Judgment is coming. That's basically the whole book of Nineveh, or Nahum. And in 609 BC, Nineveh was destroyed. It was never to be restored again. It was the end of the Assyrian Empire. But throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, you know, there's hints, there's little hints that God's heart is bigger than the boundaries of Israel, that God plans to bless all the families of the earth. But friends, Israel would not share God's heart for the nations until God sent his own son to transform their hearts on the cross. It was on the cross that all the families of the earth are blessed. Friends, if you're in Christ, that means that you have a new citizenship. So forget whatever passport you have. You have a new citizenship. It's in heaven. If you're in Christ, you bear a new name. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you're in Christ, you have a new commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. What does it look like to have a heart that reflects God's heart for all nations? You know, throughout history, God's given us many guides. One of those is Jim Elliot. At age six, Jim Elliot professed faith in Jesus Christ. He was six. Twelve years later, at 18, he enrolled at Wheaton College to study the Bible because he wanted to become a missionary. And after he graduated, he left. For the jungles of Ecuador. It was 10 years after graduation that there in the jungles, Jim Elliot, at age 28, with four of his friends, were speared to death for preaching Christ to those who had never heard. You know, when Jim was killed, he left behind a wife of just three years. 
a 10-month-old daughter. But Jim shared God's heart for all nations. So he gave his own life for their salvation. Years before he died, he wrote this in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, would you risk it all for the chance of the nations receiving salvation? Covenant Hope Church, brothers and sisters, does your heart reflect God's heart for all nations? Friends, commit to pray. Pray for people groups that don't know the name of Christ. Just today in our pastoral prayer, Pastor Mark prayed for an unreached people group, that they would know the gospel, that workers would be sent to them. Church, that's why we have a pastoral internship. We partner with other churches. We try to raise up men who will likely never pastor in our city to our congregation. We want to invest in the future in places that we may never go. We want to send our own missionaries. Oh, I pray that the best of Covenant Hope would think about leaving Covenant Hope for the sake of the gospel in places that don't have it. Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, could God be calling you to leave Dubai and go to a place where there's little or no access to the gospel? It all begins with our hearts. That's where Jonah's problem was. That's where ours is. Does your heart rejoice at the glorious character of our sovereign God? Do you rejoice at the thought of the lost being found? What makes you exceedingly glad? Is it growing your bank account or giving it generously and cheerfully and sacrificially for the sake of Christ? Is it your own fame? Your name being known? Or is it Christ? Friends, it starts with our homes. Who do you want to see come to Christ? This week, a brother in our church, he was on his way home from our Bible study in 1 Peter. It was late, and his security guard asked him, Hey, how is Bible study? Would you read the passage with me? And our fellow church member said yes. He sacrificed some sleep so he could study the passage with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Friends, this is encouraging. You know, a, a, a sister in our church just this week, a church member was mentioning that they have some family members who don't know Christ, which is probably all of us in this room. And that sister said, I'm going to pray for them to know Jesus. <laughs> Would the Lord answer these prayers for friends for family, for neighbors, for colleagues, for classmates, for those in this room right now who don't know Jesus. Friend, if that's you, do you not see God's relentless pursuit of His people? He pursues sinners. His heart towards you is not destruction, it's deliverance. Turn to Christ. Friends, the book of Jonah ends with this question to us. 
but it's, remember, it's important to remember how far we've gone in the book of Jonah. God hurled a wind and a storm and a fish and a plant and a worm and then another wind to run Jonah down and to wrap him up in mercy. Jonah ran from God only to be hurled into the heart of God. Friends, there's mercy for you too. Maybe you're wondering, what happened to Jonah? What happened? You know, his last prayer was a death wish. And I'm glad, personally, that sometimes God answers our prayers with no. He says no. And we don't know for sure what happened to Jonah. But there's so much in this book that nobody would know unless Jonah had been the one to share it. So I think there is some reason to believe that this stubborn prophet eventually melted under the mercy of God. I can imagine him recounting the story to Israelites, laughing at his stubbornness, crying at his own hard heart, and ultimately, ultimately giving glory to the God who can save anyone anywhere at any time. Perhaps now, I hope, Jonah's heart finally reflects God's heart for all nations. It is yours. Let's pray. God, you are gracious and merciful, and you're slow to anger. And you're abounding in steadfast love. And we are a stubborn people, full of pride, angry when we don't get our way. And yet you've sent us Jesus Christ, whose mercy is more than all of our sin, whose mercy is new every morning. God, change our hearts. Help us to be less like Jonah and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.